Uh, good morning, X1. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. We are in our Ephesians series. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Last week, uh, Andy preached from the first half of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Uh, and this week, we're going to be looking at the second half of that first chapter. Um, I'm excited about this series. Uh, I'm excited about this preach. Um, Ephesians is an absolutely incredible book full of so much truth. Um, and I'm going to kind of continue the theme that's already been talked about uh, this morning uh, through the contributions uh, and through our remembrance. Um, I'm hoping that I'm going to get a Prezi up shortly. But let me just start by saying it's been a, a kind of a weekend or, or a week of remembrance. Obviously, we've had Remembrance Sunday today. Um, and we, we also had fireworks, which um, historically is a remembrance of uh, what happened with Guy Fawkes those many years ago. And both have simple but powerful symbols to help us to kind of remember. Um, as has been said already, we, ha- we have poppies to remind us of, uh, of, of the people that have died in wars, uh, and particularly in kind of Second World War. Um, and also we have bonfires, which are kind of meant to be a reminder of uh, Guy Fawkes and what happened all those years ago. But over time, it's possible for these symbols, I'll just turn this on, zoom in on the poppy. Nope. <laughs> it's on. Okay. Can you click on to the next slide, please? Uh, over time, it's possible for these symbols to become distorted and almost to kind of replace uh, the things that are being remembered. Um, we had a fireworks night last night that had nothing in any way to do with, with Guy Fawkes. Oh, <laughs> that's probably me having clicked a number of times. We keep going back to the poppy. Okay. Uh, over time, it's possible for these symbols to become distorted. I don't know if you've heard on the radio recently what was going on uh, with the England national team, but hearing like the discussions on the radio, uh, they were talking about having poppies on their armbands, um, and it almost seemed like, with some of the things that were being said, that the poppies were the things that needed to be remembered rather than the people. Um, and obviously, poppies are a really helpful reminder, but they're just a symbol of what we are to remember. And sadly, the same can be said about Christianity as well. Um, people wear crosses as jewelry with no real kind of understanding of their significance and what they mean. Things that were once a meaningful way of remembering the one who we love and who we follow and who we worship have become maybe traditions and celebrations like Christmas or Easter, where it can even be offensive to to talk about Jesus or to call it Christmas rather than a holiday season in in America particularly. And sometimes even churches can get so caught up in traditions and even trying to put on excellent events that we lose focus of the one who is the head of the church, who we are to worship. And so this passage that we're about to read urges us to remember. So I want to highlight six things from this passage that we're encouraged to remember for our everyday lives. Uh, This series is called God's Eternal Purposes in Everyday Life. They're meant to be truths that are true for all time, and yet they help us every day as we live out our Christian walks. And so I'm going to highlight some of those things. 
But I wanna, I'm going to read through this whole section, uh, this whole passage, and then I'm going to take it sort of a verse or a small chunk at a time and break it down because there's so much in there. But I want to pray this almost as a prayer over you as I read it. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 15 to the end. It says this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the first thing that I want us to remember for our everyday life, uh, if we go to the next slide, remember who the church is. This first verse again, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. At this point, Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian church from prison, um, as we've heard the last couple of weeks. Um, and you would think, given his situation, that there'd be a danger of his heart becoming bitter. Um, after all that he's done, after the kind of many miles that he's traveled, uh, after all that he's done for the sake of the gospel. But it didn't. And here's why. Because this was just another opportunity for him to make much of Jesus and to help the church. In fact, Paul is almost obsessed by these two things. Uh, Jesus and the church. They're the two reasons why he's so pleased with the Ephesian church, because of their faith in Jesus and because of their love for God's people, the church. And the love here means that they're praying for one another. It means that they're giving. It means that they're serving. It means that they're caring for one another. They're inconveniencing themselves by uh, meeting together midweek, by serving one another, by giving time and energy to give to the rest of the church, by working with the children, by uh, serving meals, and so on. Paul is thrilled that they've understood what it means to love God's people. So Paul simultaneously sets an example for how we should be thankful and prayerful for the church, whilst exhorting us to have faith in Jesus and their love for his church. Why? Because Paul knows that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and his church is the instrument through which that hope is outworked. Jesus has chosen us, his followers, to be the instruments through which he reveals his life, his light, and his hope to this broken and hurting world. So Paul didn't even look at his circumstances in a negative light. He sat there in a prison, probably a particularly, not particularly nice prison, and yet he looks at it as an opportunity to make much of Jesus and the well-being of his church. 
So what is the danger? For each of these things that I want to highlight, there's a danger of not remembering. And the danger of not remembering about the church. We need to be careful not to become so individualistic, like our society often is, that we believe it's better to live out our faith outside of community. The idea that my relationship with Jesus is all that matters. Uh, And I've heard this from a number of Christians. Sadly, a lot of people from our generation have just completely removed themselves from church, thinking, as long as I've got my relationship with God, surely that's all that matters. If I love Jesus, I can worship him in my own way. I can pray to him. Why do I need the church? Why do I need to be with the church? And it's easy to be cynical or negative about the church. It is. It's really easy. Uh, The church just wants my money and my time and my energy. It doesn't really care about me. The church is ineffective and out of touch and not how I want it to be. I don't really like the music or the preacher or the events or the cakes, (laughs) whatever it is. There are lots of reasons why it would be easy to be cynical or negative about the church. And so many people just give up on church altogether. You might have been tempted to do that yourself. So like Paul, I want to encourage you that it's all about Jesus and it's all about his church. I want you to guard your hearts against bitterness. By giving your life to the church, you are imitating Christ, who gave his very life for his church. By seeking the well-being of his people, it helps us to stop thinking about our own name and our own fame and our own needs, and to remind ourselves that it's all about King Jesus and about his people. There will be times when you will give to the church and to his people, and it will go unnoticed and unthanked. But God is watching how you are selflessly serving his son, Jesus, and he is so thrilled. Like a proud father, he's looking down with deep delight. You are so appreciated. I want to thank you for those of you who do serve, and when it goes unnoticed, thank you. It is so appreciated. Serving this church is a really, really incredibly worthwhile use of your time. Even at times when it's difficult, even at times when it's energy draining and you just seem to get no thanks from it. God knows what you're doing. God knows that you're serving his son, Jesus. It is a blessing to this church. It's a benefit to this church. And I want to thank you personally. We've got various young families and new parents in the church who uh, lots of you will be up at sort of half two, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, And you're not likely to receive any kind of trophy or formal recognition for that. Uh, But you are serving your family, which is a part of this wider family. So thank you for doing that. You are so appreciated. This church belongs to Jesus. It's described as his bride. And he loves her so much that he gave himself up for her, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Our little congregation here in Watford is just a part of something so much greater. We're part of a group of churches uh, called, called New Ground, uh, which is part of a, a number of other groups of churches, which is known as New Frontiers, which is just one denomination uh, in this country of many, many denominations of people who worship God. And across the world, there are Christians, millions, possibly billions of people united in Christ who love and serve and follow him. And we are a part of that. We need to remember who the church is in our everyday life. Okay, the next one is, we need to remember who our three-in-one God is. Thank you. 
this next section says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Uh, this is just quite a short point, but this verse is absolutely incredible in that it may well be the best reference to each person of the Trinity in a single verse in the Bible. For those of you who are not familiar with the term Trinity, maybe outside of the film The Matrix, uh, we believe that God is one. There is only one true God, and that paradoxically, that one God is in three persons. God the Father, Jesus Christ, or God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are the same God. They have the same character, the same power, the same authority, and yet they are distinct. Jesus, God the Son, lived on earth 2,000 years ago and lived a perfect life, being fully God and man at the same time. He willingly went to be put to death on a Roman cross so that he could pay the penalty for all the things that we have done wrong in our lives, we call our sins, so that we could have restored relationship with God the Father through trust and faith in him and his work on the cross. Jesus then went and returned to be with his father, but he didn't just abandon us, he didn't just leave us here and say, good luck, you're on your own. He sent us God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within us as a seal of our salvation, as we heard about last week, and to empower us for his mission, which we'll hear a little bit more about shortly. So what's the danger of not remembering that we worship a three among God? We can easily fall into the trap of neglecting one or even two members of this Trinity, of the Trinity, in our worship, in our prayers, in our understanding of who God is as a whole. We need to have clear in our minds that each member of the Trinity is fully God and fully deserving of our worship and our adoration. I'm going to talk a little bit more about each member of the, the Trinity, uh, but for now I'll just say we need to remember who our three-in-one God is in our everyday life. <laughs> We're both doing it now. It's okay, I've got it. Uh, remember who the one worth knowing is. Okay, so I'm going to read this verse again and finish it off. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In this verse, the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And Paul is eager that the Ephesian church receives wisdom and revelation so that they may know God better. That was Paul's deep desire for the Ephesian church. And that is our deep desire for you as, a, as an eldership team here at this church too. One of our new, uh, uh, I preached on our new set of values a few weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, and one of the values that I highlighted, that I'm going to highlight this morning, is development. And it says this, uh, building a culture of development, we will encourage and challenge one another to grow in our faith and relationship with God. As a church, we will provide opportunities to train and improve both abilities and character. I want to encourage you this morning, don't settle for your current understanding of who God is. I want you to desire to grow and to mature, to know God better. Paul is desperate for this Ephesian church to dig deep into who God is, to understand his character and his nature, uh, and to know him better. And that never stops. We never get to a point where we're, where we're thinking, okay, yeah, I know God now. 
Uh, <laughs> there's always, always more to know. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit's wisdom and revelation, and then we pursue knowledge of God. In my marriage to Kat, if I got to a point of saying, I think I know enough about you now, uh, I don't think I'm really going to learn anything new about you, so I'm not really going to even bother trying. I'm, I'm not sure it would be the best use of my time. Cat uh, would understandably be pretty upset by that, uh, probably quite devastated. Even though we know each other pretty well, it's still a joy to discover something new about the person that you love. It can often be surprising or unexpected. But because I love her, I want to know her better. And I pray that you would desire that same thing, to know God better. Uh, we really want to encourage people to get into discipleship groups, whether that's you meeting with one other person or in a small group. Uh, there have been a, a number of, sort of small groups that have started up recently where people come together to read the Bible together. And I want to really encourage you, if you uh, have the, if a, a spare time, I'm sure you have a space in your week where you can do that. Find other people who, uh, who you can join with and meet with and read the Bible together so that you can get to know God better. We need to be proactive in this. This isn't something that will just happen as we kind of you know, go about our daily life. We need to proactively decide, I want to try to get to know God better uh, by reading his word, by reading books uh, about him, uh, by tackling some of the difficult things that are difficult things to understand about God's nature and his character. Uh, I've been reading through the Old Testament recently with uh, a couple of young guys um, and just reminding myself of some of the truths about what God did in the Old Testament, some of the incredible, powerful, wonderful things that he did, some of the, like, the way in which he uh, took Joseph from being in a position in a prison to making him almost prime minister of the land and saving an entire nation. That's the God that we worship. That's the same God as the God in the New Testament. And I want to encourage you to, to know who God is. Look at what he's done throughout history. Look at what he's done throughout the history of the world. Uh, we, we can often talk about God as being creator God and about Jesus as dying on the cross, but there's, <laughs> there's a vast amount in between that and, and after that about who God is, what he's done, and what we can learn about him. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to read the Bible and to read books about God. Um, and it really, I find it really helpful to do that with other people. Don't ignore the bits of the Bible that you don't like is another challenge that I want to lay down. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment called Paradoxology, which looks at a number of the supposed kind of paradoxes in the Bible, some of the things that maybe seem contradictory but are both true at the same time. Um, and it's, it's difficult because you have to wrestle with a lot of these issues. You have to read them and know that these things are both true at the same time, but they're really hard to grapple with. And so I want to encourage you, even if, you're, even if you struggle to read, and I'll, I'll hold my hand up and say, I'm not the best reader. I think Kat could probably read about five times faster than I can, and that's not even really that much of an exaggeration. But I, I want to persist because I want to, I want to know God better. So I'm going to take time, even if I read slowly, to read and to learn more about God. And I, I want to encourage you to do the same. Because the danger of not remembering is that we start to worship a God who is not the God of the Bible, which is idolatry. If you're worshipping your own view of God and you don't desire to actually know the real God, the, the depths of who he is and his character, and if there are bits of his character that you, you don't really like or you want to ignore and push to one side, then you're not worshipping the God of the Bible. You're kind of worshipping your own ideal of what you want God to be, which, who isn't God? 
So I want to encourage you, it, it is that important. We need to know who God is. We need to know who we're worshipping, because otherwise we're worshipping somebody else, something else that isn't God. We're going to have eternity to explore the depths of God's grace and his glory and his beauty and his holiness, and we're never going to get bored with him. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, there's plenty, there's plenty to know of God know more of him. We need to remember the one who is worth knowing in our everyday life. We need to remember who the one worth knowing is. Sorry, I've read that. (laughs) We need to remember who you are called to be. Uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Again, I'm not going to spend too long on this section as the first half of this chapter that Andy uh, looked at last week really focuses on who we're called to be and who we are in Christ. But I just want to remind us of some of the spiritual blessings that we have from being united with Christ. Uh, Bethlehem last week um, read this, and I'm going to read it again because it's fantastic. Uh, This is somebody's compiled a list of all of the blessings that we have from being united with Christ just in this book of Ephesians, and I'm just going to read them to you again. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have been chosen before the creation of the world. You have been made holy and blameless in his sight. You have been adopted as his child in accordance with his great pleasure and will. You've been redeemed through his blood. You have been forgiven of your sins. You have been lavished upon by grace. You have been marked in him with a seal. You have been given a rich and glorious inheritance. You have been made a possession of God. You have been called to a hope. You have been made alive in Christ. You have been saved. You have been raised up with Christ. You have been seated up in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. You have been made a workmanship of God. You have been created in Christ to do good works. You have been brought near. You have been given access to the Father and can approach him with freedom and with confidence. You have been made a citizen of heaven and of God's people. You have been made a member of God's household. You have been made a dwelling place of the living God. (laughs) That is who we are. That is who we're called to be. That is, as Christians, our identity. That is the reality of our existence as Christians. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. If you are a Christian this morning, you are called to hope, to know hope, to have hope, and to be hope in this world. That is what you have been called to do. What is the danger of not remembering this? We can get distracted and discouraged by the hardships of this life, and we can lose sight of the hope to which we have been called. Like Paul in prison, uh, I said earlier, could, you could probably excuse him for having kind of lost hope or being discouraged in that situation. But I want to encourage you, like Paul, to hold on to the hope, to have your focus fixed on who you really are and what you're really called to. Despite your situation, it might be difficult, you might be going through a really tough time. When work is tough, you are called to hope. When family life is hard and painful, you know the hope to which he has called you. When you're unsatisfied and frustrated, 
Know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. We need to remember who we're called to be in our everyday life. We need to remember whose power we have. The next section says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. As I said before, the Holy Spirit is a person, not, not an it, not a substance. Uh, sometimes when I hear Christians talking about the Holy Spirit, it's uh, about kind of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's as if they're asking God to scoop out um, a load of Holy Spirit from a jar and to sort of sprinkle it on his people like holy water or something like that. We need to have firm in our minds that the Holy Spirit is a person, a member of the Trinity, fully God and fully a member of the Trinity. When you become a Christian, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of your eternal inheritance. You become a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Quite literally, you are a dwelling place or a temple of the Holy Spirit. He literally lives within you. But he's not just a guarantee, uh, like you might have a guarantee for a kitchen appliance that you shove in a bottom drawer and sort of leave it there until maybe you need it. He's not just there uh, as, as kind of our way to uh, get to heaven at the, at the end of our lives. The Holy Spirit is the source of the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And so Paul wants us to know and to remember that the same power is available to us who believe. Uh, we talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit as a church. That might be a term or a phrase that you, you're kind of not used to if you come from a different church tradition. But what, what we mean by that is it's an empowering of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's oftentimes a moment in a, a Christian's life where they say they receive a baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is saying, God, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't live out my Christian life by myself. I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I don't have the, the self-control, the, the confidence, the courage, the ability to live as a Christian by myself. And so I want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit who is in my life. I, I want to live for him. I want him to, uh, to use his power in and through me. And the danger of not remembering that is that we do live out our Christian lives in our own strength, in our own ability. But without the Holy Spirit's empowering, it is impossible to live as effective followers of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit gives us the wisdom and revelation about what Christ-likeness uh, looks like in our various contexts, in your work, in your home life. And then gives us the strength and the courage and the self-control to actually live that out. But this passage goes beyond just living a life of goodness. Paul wants to remind us as Christians that we have serious power at our disposal. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is within us. I don't think it's a mistake that this verse is talked about in the same section uh, as knowing God better, which I talked about before. To know God means to know his power in your life. In John 5, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. 
Jesus didn't just go round wielding divine power willy-nilly. He, he sought the will of his Father in heaven, of God. And then God was able to work miracles and miraculous things through his obedience. So we need to know God better so that we can know his will, so that his power can be outworked in our lives. We don't just have this power available to do whatever we want with. We know God better. We understand who he is, what his will is, how he works, what he's like. <laughs> we look at the life of Jesus Christ and what he did when he was on the earth, and we imitate that. We, we see what God is doing, and we live that out. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit empowers that life of, in a powerful way. So we need to remember whose power we have in our everyday life. And then finally, we need to remember who rules over all things. Uh, the passage finishes off by saying this. He raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, into human history to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live am among us as one of us. He lived a life without sin, and he died, and he went into the ground, but he didn't stay there. Jesus rose from the death, Jesus rose from death and he conquered Satan, sin, death, hell and the wrath of God. He ascended into heaven and today he's ruling and reigning from this authoritative position. Philippians 2 uh, goes on to say this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord, and one day every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow down and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Given what I've seen on the news in the last week, uh, and heard on the radio, and seen on Facebook these last few days, it's so important that we as Christians remind ourselves of the one who truly has all rule and authority and power and dominion. What is the danger of not remembering that? We can get so caught up with politics, with everything that is kind of going on, and being fooled into thinking that man has ultimate authority and power. It, we can get caught up in scaremongering. We can get caught up in, in just being uh, dejected and feeling low and feeling like we have no control or power. But the truth is that every knee, every knee will bow before King Jesus with no exceptions. He is the one that has the ultimate power and authority over all things. I'm not going to say anything more uh, about it than that. But know the hope to which he has called you and know the one who has ultimate authority over all things. And Jesus Christ is head over the church. 
if you and I would be concerned primarily about the name of Jesus and the well-being of his church, it would safeguard our hearts from bitterness, from thinking, are people honoring me? Uh, are people looking at what do people say about me? Do they thank me? Do they acknowledge me? Do they honor me? Do they reward me? No. How can I magnify the name of Jesus? And while I'm at it, how is our church? How is the church doing? Because that is his bride. I want to encourage you this morning to love Jesus and to love his church. We need to remember who rules over all things in our everyday life.